The Pittsburgh Pirates have officially unveiled their City Connect jerseys in the midst of a nine-game losing streak with the next challenger being the Miami Marlins. We're going to talk about all of that and more on today's episode of Locked On Pirates brought to you by eBay Motors. You are Locked On Pirates, your daily Pittsburgh Pirates podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Oh, well, 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 well. Welcome back to the Locked On Pirates podcast, everybody. Brought to you by eBay Motors. My name is Ethan Smith. To my right, as always, every Thursday is Craig Toth of Inside the Bucks Basement, which, Craig, I just realized something about my background today. Uh, I forgot to put your Twitter in there, so I guess your Twitter is Gary's Twitter today, so go follow (laughs) Gary's Twitter over there. Nice little uh, error on the part of your host, Ethan Smith. But uh, we got some fun news today, and no, everybody, I am not wearing the City Connect jersey yet. I do not have connections. I'm just wearing a Bananas jersey. Didn't fool anybody. It doesn't even look the same. But the Pittsburgh Pirates released their City Connect jersey today, and I don't have a picture to pull up for you guys, as I'm assuming most of you listening have probably already seen it. Been mixed reactions on it. I don't mind it that much. The only thing that does kind of puzzle me about it, Craig, a little bit is that most of the intricacies about the connection to the city are in the threading of the jersey, which I found very interesting. There's nothing really that you can see like on television or even if you're at the game in the stands, you can't really see unless you're like right up on the guys. But I don't mind them. I mean, I think they could have been way worse. I think they could be a little bit better. Uh, there was some reports about the fact that they did want to put Steel City on the front of it. I believe uh, Colin Dunlap actually spoke about that. But obviously, we all know that there is a company in Pittsburgh that did not want that to happen because of the trademark that they have for that. So uh, what are your thoughts on this jersey starting off a little bit with some more positive speak about the Pittsburgh Pirates uh, with the way they've played over the past week and a half? Yeah, I mean, I do like the uh, the part of, you know, we bleed black and gold. Um, that will be seen if a fan is wearing a jersey because more than likely a fan wearing a jersey isn't, you know, tucking it in and you know, blousing it out like a, a player would be. So, I mean, that's kind of like a cool touch right there. But, I mean, you, you pointed at, at the main things is that you actually have to get out a microscope to see, you know, they're like, this is tied to, you know, what's at the top of the Roberto Clemente Bridge. This is what's tied you know, to the, to the three rivers. So, I mean, and, and the PGH, I mean, like you said, you pointed out, there is a brand in Pittsburgh called steel city. We also have a team called the Steelers. So, I mean, going with something that, you know, is a little bit different and, you know, anytime, I mean, what are you going to go with PIT? I mean, that's the air, that's the airport. So, I mean, I mean, you can't go four one two because, I mean, I live in the four one two now, but you know, for the majority of my life, I lived in the seven two four, so that's kind of you know taking out you know some of those fans. I, I do like the look. I like to me. I I'm a big fan of the you know bright yellow, and then you have the black pants. That's very cool. The hats. I mean, it, it does have. 
I, I, there's not too much you can do with these to, to make them look great. Sure. I feel like they've done better than than some cities have. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the the two that I like the most, I mean, are the the Chicago White Sox with the South Side. That's really cool. I uh, I liked Houston, the Space City. I th- felt like those ones were, were nice, but I mean, at least it's better than the Baltimore ones that came out. I so I mean, of course, people aren't going to like them if we were on a nine-game winning streak as opposed to a nine-game losing streak. You know that the reaction may be different, um, but but in essence, I mean, this is just you know. It was something that was going to come. It's something that Nike has been doing. Uh, and, I mean, people are going to go out there and buy them. I saw that you you were purchasing them. I have nothing against that. I'm probably going to get myself a, you know, a T-shirt uh, at some point in time. Uh, my wife would probably kill me if I if I purchased another hat. Um, but uh, you have to, I, right? I, <laughs> I may have to get that yeah. as well because uh, – but, yeah, I mean – they're fine by me. I, I don't know. You know, I had even talked about if, you know, you would incorporate, I don't even know, just the bridges somewhere on there. Uh, but I mean, I, I guess they did that with the, the intricacies of the Roberto Clemente bridge. Um, but yeah, man, I'm, I'm fine with them. It's going to be something they wear here, you know, a couple times, who knows, you know, how often they'll wear them in upcoming seasons depending on popularity. Um, like I said, I don't see uh, too many other teams other than the White Sox, you know, making them a- a- an alternate jersey. And it's because of the popularity when they came out. If people buy them and they go off the shelves, you know, they'll put them back out there again. They'll continue to sell them. Yeah. If they're not very popular, you know, it's something that we could see this year and then never see again. So I, I, I don't, I don't feel like having, argue, I, I don't feel like having arguments with people on Twitter about, you know, real stuff. I, I, so I'm not going to like think this is either really, really good or really, really bad. They are what they are. They have cool points to them. They could have done other stuff, but all in all, you know what? Not terrible. Yeah, and I mean, I read through some of the stuff that was describing it, like how you have the asteroids in the jersey, of course, with the uh, Pittsburgh being the center, as they say here, the center of the steel industry and innovation. Um, You had the three rivers kind of like upside down Y thing, which I thought was kind of cool with the three rivers. Um, Also, the bridge. I thought that was one thing that a lot of people missed was that the font was like kind of like the bridge format. I really enjoyed that, too. And yeah, I mean, I bought a Brian Reynolds t-shirt for it. I bought the hat. I really enjoy the hat a lot more, I think, than the jerseys. Um, and they do kind of give a little send back to, um, you know, the old yellow pullovers that they used to wear. And you mentioned when they were uh, going to wear them this year. I believe they're wearing them for Friday home games, I believe, is like throughout the rest of the year. And we've seen other teams that have had them uh, wear them a little bit. Yeah, and I, I also agree with you, too. I do like Chicago's a lot. I do like Houston's a lot. There have just been some of them that are just awful, in my opinion. Like, no offense to Javier Reyes of Locked On Padres, but I don't know what they were doing with those Padres jerseys at all. The Colorado Rockies ones were okay. I actually saw the Rockies still wear the – they still wear the 
the top, like the actual jersey, but they don't wear it anymore with the pants that came with it. So maybe that's something we see the Pirates flirt with. It's like, okay, cool, the black pants are cool at all, but we're just going to wear white pants with these. I don't know. I thought it was something cool for us to talk about. I thought it was something cool that the Pirates did. Obviously, we knew it was coming. I would die to see Cincinnati and Pittsburgh play a game against each other in both of their city connects because I do actually like Cincinnati's too. And I honestly think jerseys like these could get younger fans into the game a little bit more, you know, bright colors, all that stuff. You're watching the Little League World Series or college baseball. They all wear their color jerseys all the time. So I enjoy them. I agree with you too, Craig. I don't think there's much of a reason to really argue over it. It's either you like it or you don't. They're not asking you to pay for it because trust me, that jersey's not cheap. You'll find that really fast when you go to MLBshop.com that that jersey is not cheap. But if you want to be comfortable wearing your shirt, your hat, your jersey, or whatever you're wearing that day, make sure you add bird dogs to your fit because I guarantee you I'll be wearing my bird dogs with my Brian Reynolds City Connect t-shirt, everyone, because bird dogs are comfortable. They make you look good. They stretch well. They're designed to fit slimmer through the thigh and leg, giving you a truly sculpted look. I also love the commercial with Pinocchio that he could even sell bird dogs. Well, hopefully I'm as good as Pinocchio can also sell you some bird dogs because they're awesome. You get a free Yeti-style tumbler with every single order when you go to birddogs.com slash locked on MLB. That's birddogs.com slash locked on MLB for a free Yeti-style tumbler. You won't want to take your bird dogs off, we promise you. So now back uh, to away from fabric, if you will, Craig, to the fabric of what this team is. So if you remember when um, the series of nine games was about to start, this big nine-game stretch against the NL Central, I kept calling it the biggest stretch of the season. I kept saying this was going to be the time that the Pirates could either cement themselves as an NL Central contender or fall out of it. Somehow, in the middle of this, they lose all nine games. They are on a nine-game losing streak. Meanwhile, Cincinnati is on an 11-game winning streak. Yet, they're still only five games under 500. they They're five games out of first place. And normally, you lose nine games in a row, and the feeling around Pittsburgh and social media and fans and everybody is that this team is done. Are they, though, Craig? Are, are they done, even though we've seen them lose nine straight games? I mean, I don't think that they're done. Uh, it's definitely going to be, you know, a little bit of a struggle to get to get back on track because this is like one of the main things I kind of said that would, you know, I don't know if it's define the season or what it would be is, is to keep, you know, if you're in a little bit of a skid, to at least be able to pick up, you know, one or two games here or there. I mean, not that it would look much better if if they took, you know, I think at least two of those games were extremely winnable, if not three. I mean, some of them, they were, you know, they were gone from the word go. But, I mean, even if you win like two or three of those, you're still, I mean, not in a great position. You're still going to be frustrated that Cincinnati's on the tear that they're on. But, you know, three games and say, you know, a game under 500 or two games under 500 
it, it sounds a lot better and, and maybe you're not as worried. Um, but I mean, there were some decent pitching performances in there. Uh, you know, Luis Ortiz sticks out to me. I believe that was on Sunday. Uh, I, you can't really say too much bad about Osvaldo Beto since he's been up. He hasn't lost the games for you. I mean, the first one, do you wish he would have gone longer? Absolutely. But, you know, maybe the, the teams will get some tape on him and, and he'll cap, come back dar- down to earth a little bit. But it's kind of you can't really ask for anything more for a guy that's getting called up to fill in uh, because one of your starters can't stick in the rotation at this point in time. Uh, the biggest thing, I mean, obviously everybody knows was the hitting. I mean, didn't score for <laughs> a countless number of innings there and it just kept on going up and up. And, and then even when we did score, you know, the, the pitching kind of let the one get out of hand again yesterday. But I mean, when you have, you know, Cabrian Hayes coming off of his hot streak, you have, you know, Jack Sawinski, not hitting very well. Tucapito yeah. Marcano, a guy you were counting on, you know, Rodolfo Castro, G1 Bay. Um, one of the only guys that's been consistent this entire year and Andrew McCutcheon dealing with some, you know, elbow soreness. I mean, some of this is, is bad luck. Some of this is injury. Some of this is just, you know, kind of, I don't know. It's like, kind of like, relegating itself or regulating itself to the mean a little bit. Um, and it, it's all coming, you know, at the same time, uh, everybody thought we were kind of maybe back on track with, you know, games against you know St. Louis to sweep there playing well against the Mets. Um, and not that Milwaukee or in Chicago or, or world beaters to, you know, any stretch of the imagination. I think that's why, you know, this one to me hurts a lot more than when we lost to you know, Tampa and and the Blue Jays. Uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't say that it's done. I mean, we've seen crazier things. Uh, is Cincinnati going to win, you know, 57 in a row? You know, absolutely not. But um, it definitely puts you in a hole and especially doing against teams, you know, within your division that that hurts because, you know, the new scheduling, you're not playing as many games against them. So you went want to win, you know, as many as you can in that short amount of time. And they definitely didn't do it. I, I don't know what's going to pick up the bats. I, I, I honestly don't. It's just crazy that, you know, everybody is on, you know, a slump at the same time. I mean, before at least you had a couple guys hitting. Now it seems like absolutely nobody's hitting. Yeah. And it's very interesting too, that when you look across the entire national league, obviously the reds are the talk of the town right now. They have an 11 game winning streak going. They're not the only team in the national league. That's on a double digit win streak. The San Francisco giants won last night and are on a 10 game winning streak. Pirates of course have the longest losing streak in all of baseball right now. And again, it speaks to a lot of different things. The offense is just not hitting. As you mentioned, everybody's in a slump right now, and it's just it's not looking good for them at all. But I think the flip side of this is something that we talked about in May when they were losing those games to Tampa Bay and Toronto, and they were still above 500. Was that that April month was an abnormality? 
That's what it was. No team, even the best teams in baseball, hardly ever start a season the way the Pirates did. Even Tampa Bay started the, the season like that. And albeit Tampa Bay is 52 and 25 now, but they were undefeated for the first two and a half weeks of the year. Sometimes that's just how baseball works. If you had to ask me, I mean, the Pirates are going to come out of this at some point. They're not going to lose 50 games in a row. Just like you said, the Reds aren't going to win 57 games in a row. It's just not going to happen. And it's interesting that what you mentioned the new scheduling, and I mentioned this on my show yesterday, they still have 30 games against the NL Central. And albeit that doesn't seem like a lot, it's like, okay, there's a lot of other games to be played there, and obviously you have to win these other games too. But there's still opportunities for them to get out of this. And I think you mentioned the pitching is there. Osvaldo Vito and Johan Oviedo go back-to-back quality starts in this most recent Cub series. You don't lose too many games where you're getting back-to-back quality starts from your pitchers. But when your offense is as bad as it is right now, yeah, you're going to lose those games. And, of course, the bullpen only features two guys from the opening day roster right now and Dowry Moretta and David Bednar, so there's been flux there too. But every team deals with this. And the fact that the Pirates started the season the way they did, imagine if they did it. Imagine if they started 14 and 14, right? This situation would be way worse. And I'm talking way, like we wouldn't even be talking about even being contention for the NL Central at all. So there's still time to fix it. And to talk about that now, you go to Miami to face a Miami Marlins team that has kind of been the darling of the NL Central, if you will, a very big surprise, um, especially in the NL East where you expected it to be a three-horse race between Atlanta, Philadelphia, and New York, and the Mets are six games under 500. The Phillies are three games over and three games behind Miami, and Atlanta's just taking that division away. And I think what the scariest thing going into this series, Craig, for the Pirates specifically, is something pretty obvious is that the Miami Marlins know how to pitch. They are a very good team when it comes to pitching, and they're going to see they're going to see Garrett this weekend. They're going to see Jesus Lazardo. They're going to see guys whose ERAs are all pretty much four or below. And you have Mitch Keller on the mound tonight against the Miami Marlins. Of course, I'll have the recap story on Inside the Bucks basement tonight. What do the Pirates, I mean, I feel like this is an easy question to answer, but what has to give for this team to get out of this slump, especially against a team in the Marlins that can flat out pitch against you? I mean, I think you just have to get aggressive at the plate. I mean, that's just pretty much what this is, is that, you know, if your pitch that you is comfortable that's in your zone comes on the first pitch of your at-bat, I mean, I think you have to at least – make an effort to swing at it. I mean, I'm, I think that you could also, I mean, it, it could go in the opposite direction where it's just like, why are you swinging at the first pitch every single time? I mean, yeah, it, it could flux that way, but yeah, you definitely have to get more aggressive uh, just because, I mean, I see so many, you know, across, you know, these last three series, the number of like three, two counts, um, that our hitters get to, um, those are usually the outliers um, of a game, but if they've, they've become a regularity here. So, I mean, I don't know if the, you know, 
the players just aren't seeing the ball very well. I don't know if this is, you know, I know that there was, you know, a philosophy and there has been a philosophy with, with Derek Shelton and with Andy Haynes to, you know, just, you know, try to get the, the starter to throw, you know, as many, as many pitches as possible to possibly get them out of the game. Um, or if it's just a combination of both things that, you know, guys aren't seeing the ball well and, and they're, they're, they're trying to wait for their pitch, but when their pitch comes, they're not recognizing that it's their pitch. So, I mean, just seeing, I I've just never seen so many guys just really not even swing during an at bat. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's happened, you know, more than a few times uh, over these last nine games. So that's like one thing that strikes me. I mean, especially, you know, if Rodolfo Castro is in there, Rodolfo Castro usually has to have his, his bat like super glued to his shoulder, you know, for him not to swing at something. So um, for him to be taking as many pitches as he has is, is one that that definitely surprises me. Um, And we know like McCutcheon, he takes a lot of pitches, but he's not in there, but Santana takes a lot of pitches. Connor Joe historically takes a lot of pitches, Um, but they're just taking more and more. Um, so I don't know if it's, you know, mixing up the lineups, if it's, you know, I I don't know who else you can call up at this point in time that's major league ready. Um, but I mean, something that you just have to, to mix things up a little bit. You can't continue to go up there and, and take the same approach because, you know, maybe it, it was working, you know, at times, I, you know, to get them, you know, back at it. But I mean, you see the ones that, that break them out of their slumps and and those are games where they come out and they're swinging the bat and they put not just, you know, two or three runs on the board. They put, you know, seven, eight, nine, 10, sometimes 13 runs on the board Mm -hmm. um, because they're attacking, you know, the, the opposing pitchers. Yeah. And I mean, you, I was going to bring up uh, Rodolfo Castro, but you already did it for me. And tonight, for instance, I mean, he's facing a lefty. I expect Castro to be in the lineup tonight, and I want to see that from him. It was baffling to me to watch how much he was just watching pitches go by because typically he's the guy that you get mad about that he's chasing stuff out of the zone. And there was a point of yesterday's game, too. Uh, I believe it was the bases loaded scenario that they had with one out where G1 Bay forced a 3-2 count and Stroman just caught him on a really like terrible pitch. I mean, it wasn't even close. And I also said, too, if it wasn't for that error, they don't score a run there at all. It's just been a mixture of, like, the little things. And you hear the broadcast talk about that a lot. You see a lot of the journalists talk about that a lot, that the biggest reason they started 20-8 and was because everything was going right. Every little thing was going right. They were doing the little things correct. The things you don't see in the box score were going good for them. Now – you're in a state where even key Brian Hayes has his, a throwing error yesterday that leads to three runs and effectively takes you out of the game. And that two run leads that these teams are getting against you feel like 10 because the offense just isn't doing anything. And I said this on my show yesterday as well. Mitch Keller tonight could pitch six or seven innings. He probably will. That's what he does. The Marlins offense is not a juggernaut. Obviously, they have Luis Arias, who has like a 401 batting average. But outside of that, there's not 
really anything to write off on the page there outside of Jorge Soler. That's really it. I mean, they, they have pieces, but I've always joked that the Marlins are a team of second basemen playing multiple positions. Mitch Keller will probably pitch well tonight, but does it really matter? Who knows? And I've said that it sucks for the starting pitching too, because they go out there and feel like they can't make a mistake. They, I mean, you have to think that way for them, that every time they go out there, if I give up one run, I might take the loss here. And Mitch Keller is eight and three on the year. And he could pitch seven innings and give up one earned run in the way this offense is played. He might drop to eight and four. But this is also a spot for Mitch Keller where I want to see him do what he was doing in May, where when he had those starts where the Pirates were losing two or three in a row. Now it's at nine. Go out there, be the ace, shut it down, end the streak. I think that's something they can do. Uh, any predictions for this series against the Marlins, Craig? Anything that you think that might stick out to you? I mean, uh, I think that, like you said, the one thing that's going to stick out to me is is if you know some of the hitters can get can get back on track. I I, I don't think the issue is. I think the issue is po- possibly depth at pitching because. I mean, that's the other part is, you know, Mitch Keller could go into the the seventh inning and it could be a 1-1 tie. And the way that the bullpen's been going recently, it could end up being a 9-1 loss. So, I mean, I feel like that, I mean, what's going to break them out of this is the bats. I We've seen some quality starts during this. We've seen some, you know, poor defensive performance. I mean, you could look at, you know, the game yesterday and, and the number of, you know, runs across the plate after, you know, Rich Hill, you know, when he was left the game, he, you know, we're out of it. But for the most part, I mean, he didn't pitch that bad. He pitched the way that he's pitched pretty much every single time. So, I mean, what's going to break them out of this? And, but the bad part is that we've, we've seen that happen too, where, you know, the team has taken a five, one lead and, and then it's not held. So, I mean, I don't know if if there is honestly I, I'm kind of going back to the other thing where it's just like is this the end of it? It's like I don't know if we have enough depth, man. That's that's mm-hmm. where I'm going to here is that at, at this point in time, that's where you know maybe if if Tugapita is not hitting well, you bring up Pagero. If you know Bay isn't hitting well or Castro is not hitting well, you, you know. Instead of bringing up Mark Mathias, why not bring up, you know, Nick Gonzalez and, and just kind of start to see what you have on the flip side of that is if they're hitting well in the minors, do you want to, you know, bring them up to the major leagues and expose them uh, as maybe not being as complete players as other teams may think they are going to be uh, just because, you know, you have the front office saying that they may be aggressive uh, during you know, the trade deadline. And I think those are two guys that I, I said on one of my previous shows here, uh, not on yours, but something on, you know, bucks in the basement was just, you know, do those guys still have enough shine left on them? Well, I mean, they're still top prospects. So, I mean, they may not get as much as they would have, you know, right after they were drafted or right after they were acquired. Um, but there may still be something there. So that's the other flip side to that. And also, you know, G1 Bay, Marcano, and Rodolfo Castro are all extremely young, so you'd like to see them work things out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's where I would kind of say that it has to be like more of like 
to Brian Hayes, maybe a little bit of Castro. Cause I mean, I know he's younger, but he's got a little bit more experience than the other two guys. And then hopefully Brian Reynolds with his back is, is not too serious. And that's another thing. I mean, you need McCutcheon back. You need some guys back in the lineup that were at least providing, you know, consistent quality at bats. Um, so it's going to have to come from the offense, in my opinion, for this to turn around. And like you said, that's going to be tough because we're, we're facing a pretty good pitching staff. Yeah. And I'm going to jokingly end today's show by saying this with me saying that and the pitching staff that the Pirates will be facing from now until Sunday. Doesn't it just make sense that this will be the time that the offense just all of a sudden explodes, Craig? It just makes sense. It just makes sense because it doesn't make sense. It's like, oh, okay. The pitching staff for the Marlins is probably arguably the best in baseball and the Pirates will find a way to blow it up. But anyways, the Pirates, of course, kick off their four game set against the Miami Marlins tonight at 640 Eastern time. It'll be Mitch Keller on the mound for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Can the losing streak end? Let's hope so. Craig, of course, will be doing his stories over at Inside the Bucks Basement, as he always does. You also have Prospect News and Brews, I believe. Yeah, minor um, league news and brews, yeah. Yep, you have that coming. So that'll be some stuff to find Craig. Obviously, that is not his Twitter. So Gary got a, a nice little tag here today because of <laughs> a error on my part. But you could follow me on Twitter at MVP underscore Ethan or at Locked on Pirates. Follow Craig at Bucks Basement. And, you know, follow Gary while you're here at GaryMo2007. Guys, have a wonderful Thursday afternoon and evening. I will see you tomorrow for Mailbag Friday. But until then, see you on the flip side.